Hello and welcome to Literally Gagging. This is a podcast where this week we're going to go a little bit old school. We're delving into a classic Mills and Boone, the kind that you go into Smith's and you see the whole rack of them and there's like a little old lady furtively leafing through trying to find a sexy man on the cover. Well, me and Molly were those little old ladies this week. We've gone and found ourselves a sexy duke and we will be letting you know how we found him. But if that doesn't sound like something you're interested in, that is absolutely fine. We will be discussing sex and sex sexual things so if you're not into that this may not be the podcast for you. My name's Hannah and I'm here with my co-host Molly. How are you today Molly? Hi Hannah I'm okay today. It's been a little bit rainy, a little bit wet, Mm. got a little bit damp but that's perfect Mills and Boone reading weather I think. Absolutely. You don't want it sunny outside, you want to be curled up on the chaise long reading about a matchmaker in the Duke. (sighs) I loved it. I had a great time. I loved this book. It was great. And have you been up to anything fun this week other than learning about the matchmaker and the Duke? So I've been in a bit of a funk because I've just learned that I'm going to be on furlough to the 31st of October. So that means I'm like, oh, what the fuck am I going to do for the next three months? My partner was like, oh, okay, why don't you try and get into gaming? And I was like, it's not really my thing. It's not really my jam. So we went through and he downloaded some games for me. And I have to say... Untitled Goose Game is the best thing that's ever happened to me. What the fuck is Untitled Goose Game? Okay, so you are a goose and you get given tasks, but you're essentially, you're a bit of a dickhead goose. So you've got to like steal things from people. There's one bit where you have to honk at a child and like lock him in a phone booth, <laughs> like a phone booth. And it's, I, as someone who's terrified of birds, I'm like, no, do you know what? If I was a goose, I'd be a dickhead too, because I am loving being this dickhead goose wow that's the game that's caught your fancy or not like getting into like zelda or like fallout is that one i don't know fortnite like none of them she's like untitled goose game that's the one honestly get untitled goose game and you'll love it you can honk you can flap and do you get points if you do good flapping and honking no so there's like one of the tasks that you had to do was to get a flower off these people in a pub and to get the flower, you have to perform for these pub people. They're like, hug, and then you go, hug. And then the other one went like, flaps. Then I flapped. And then they clapped and gave me a flower. Oh, wow. Theatres might be shut for the foreseeable, but Molly's still getting her performing bug out by flapping at digital strangers in a pub. I take it you haven't been honking at people this week, Hannah? I've not been honking at people. What have I been doing? I genuinely don't think I know what I've been doing. Oh, that's what I've done in the past week. I watched Hamilton. Hamilton. We borrowed my brother's Disney Plus login, marvelled at the spectacle, which is human endeavour. You know how people look at like the pyramids and stuff and are like, oh my God, the humans can do so much. That's how I feel when I watch Hamilton. I'm like, how can the human brain make something this good? Well, what have you been drinking? I'm back on the king of beers, which is Budweiser because there was another one left in the fridge because my partner was like, I'm not going to drink it. You can have it for your podcast. <laughs> That's nice that he's serving his, the crud beers for you. Mm. What are you drinking this week, Miles? I got the Copperberg Cherry Rum. I didn't know that was a thing. It's a bit weird. It kind of tastes like feet. You know, like when you suck on a sweet that hasn't got the right flavouring and you're like, mm, this is a bit cheesy feety. It's mm. a bit like that. Are you enjoying it? It'll get me through. What are you having it with? Oh, cherry 7-Up. I should have got a Coke. Yeah, maybe a Pepsi Max. It's a cherry overload. Too much cherry. 
So this week we have been reading a book called The Matchmaker and the Duke by Anne Lethbridge, which is part of the Mills and Boone Historical Collection. And it is exactly what you think it is. Like, whatever you've got in your head about what this book is, it's probably exactly that. And it's fucking great. It was wonderful. Anne Lethbridge was born in England. She was an army brat, so she lived all over the UK and she grew up with a love of history. Um, When she went to university, she majored in business with history on the side and she now lives in Canada with her husband, her two daughters and a Maltese terrier called Teaser because I know that Molly likes it when we find out about author's dogs. I do, I do. I'm not a fan of Maltese terrier but I do appreciate teaser. She used to work in admin, but in 2006, her first novel got published and she went full-time writing from there. She's not looked back. She loves the Georgian era and within that, the period known as the Long Regency, which my research tells me was basically George IV's lifetime. Mm. That means anything to anyone. It means absolutely nothing to me. So George III is the king in Hamilton. Yes. So it's his His son. His son. So she loves the Regency period and obviously there's a lot of romances, kind of like the classic Georgian romance vibes is what she wanted to write. She has had over 30 stories published in print and ebook and the interview I took that from was four years ago so I imagine she's had a lot more done since then. She is an award-winning writer in 2009. She won the Daphne du Maurier Award for Excellence in Mystery and Suspense for one of her books. So that's Anne Lethbridge. There wasn't a vast amount of information about her but she does have a website and I took most of the bio from there the matchmaker and the duke is a very recent one it only came out this year by the way if it was in a bookshelf it's very inconspicuous as to what it was and this is what all the historical romance ones are like it's just sort of plain yellow and like white writing and then when you pull out the front there is a hunk and a hunkess and a fan and a pearl necklace like my 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 i love a mills and boone cover did you enjoy it what did you think of it oh i fucking loved it i really did enjoy it i fucking loved it like so much more than i thought i was going to same at first i was a bit like uh and then i read more of it and i was like oh yes especially when they got to the masquerade ball that's when i was really hook line and sinker but and we'll get to this when we go through everything. I did feel it was a little bit Pride and prejudice Oh, 100%. It was very... I think she just ripped the story off. Yeah, it was very, like, the aloof aristocratic gentleman and the lowly but sharp tongued and sharp-witted young lady yeah. who's met his intellectual match. They refer to her, the lead character, Amelia, as exotic mm. really often in the book. Maybe say where she's from, like maybe she has heritage. And there's a bit as well where, and it's like very, very glossed over because he says like, oh, she has beautiful dark hair, he's like obsessed with her hair and she's got like smooth tanned skin. And then there's a bit where she's saying how at school people used to mock her for having dark skin I'm like so there's a whole racist undertone here we're not even getting into no we didn't even crack open that at all I just felt like maybe exotic isn't the right word we should be using for 2020 Mm. this book is set in 1817 exotic might just mean Welsh yeah like in sort of London high society circles it could just be Irish yeah Yeah. and we'll never know I'm condemning the word exotic in this book I think I think that's fair enough it is set in the 1800s but we are in 2020 and we can all do better but yeah I really enjoyed it I really liked it when I was younger me and my best friend in primary school were like obsessed with Mills and Boone books and we used to go and get them out the library and because we were both like good library users who brought our books back on time even when we were like 
12 they let us get things out of the adult library without like checking with our parents and we chose to get mills and boom books obviously you hopeless romantics obviously the plot's a little bit predictable you know what's yeah. gonna happen it's literally called the matchmaker and the duke like <laughs> there we go like you don't need that's any it. more information than that i had fun and that's all i need so should we start from the beginning mm. Should we? So, 18, 8, 18, 17. <laughs> that was me trying to do a Hamilton. It's 1870. We open on Jasper Simon Warren, the Duke of Stone, Marquess of Felmont, and the Earl of Blackmore. We establish that he is 35 years of age, he is unmarried, and his Aunt Mary suggests that he should get himself a wife because he's getting on, and he has a Dutchel duty to reproduce and pass on an heir for money and white people richness purposes. Mm -hmm. And his aunt suggests to him the Mitchell sisters. We also learn that he has a mistress called Jane whose favours he had enjoyed to the full for many years. A woman with whom he had agreed upon an exclusive arrangement who was quite content to entertain him whenever he felt the need. And I was like, oh, it's all right for some, isn't it? If you're fucking someone for that long, surely you feel some sort of emotional attachment to them and he's just like nope yeah his aunt says like oh you should probably get married he's like oh should i pay off my mistress and she was like probably yes maybe do that please but yeah we get introduced to the mitchell sisters the mitchell who are sisters charity and patience mitchell i hate virtue names oh. they make me feel a bit ill the mitchell sisters are from yorkshire and they're sort of middle class but their dad's made a fortune so he wants them to marry into a title because that's what aspiring middle class people did back then who had dollar but we also learned that they're quote unquote traditionally english in that they're blonde the pale, the English rose yeah. type people. Their father has enlisted the help of Amelia Durant, who is a matchmaker. Mm. She's widowed, she's 30, and we've established she's exotic. And she's 30, which means she's past her prime. She got married in her first season or whatever when she was out as a deb. We spoke about this briefly in Lace, that kind of like debutante scene coming out to society. She got married quite early on in her first season. Her husband died. Her husband died racing his own horse. Stupid rich people nonsense. He died two years in. And since then, she's had to make a living for herself by making matches, kind of helping these young women meet suitable men. And she prides herself on the fact that she doesn't necessarily make the most financial matches always, but she'll pick people who she thinks will actually... Happy matches. Yeah. Her services are particularly needed in this case because, as we mentioned, they are middle class. So she introduces them to the Tom and the Tom gets mentioned a lot. I don't know I what like, it what is. what the fuck is this? So it refers to Le Bon Ton, which is what they called the upper classes in that time. Okay. It just means upper class assholes, essentially. Okay. But their dad wants one of them to marry a duke. And Amelia is a bit like, okay then, like maybe the best you can hope for is a lord. A duke is probably a bit out of reach for two middle class northerners. There is a bit where she says that she'd specifically like trained them out of their Yorkshire vowels and things to be accepted in the ton. And to be fair, I think the two girls seem nice. And she seems to have done a good job with them because one of the things that later on is kind of noted is that a lot of the Debs, especially the more upper class Debs, are very like 
giggly and silly and they don't know how to talk to men and they don't really have much going for them whereas both the Mitchell sisters can like hold a conversation and just be a normal and person personality mm, which rich people don't have so everyone decides to go to Lady Jersey's ball so Lady Jersey introduces the Duke to the Mitchell sisters and Lady Jersey and the Duke I like they have bands, they have bands. They? that was really cute I like the bit where because obviously at these events they have to like announce everyone who comes in and the Duke's thing is that because he's 35 and he's jaded and he's better than all these society things he always pays a servant to let him up the back stairs and he'll just like sneak in a side door and she's like oh sneaky and he's like you know me yeah know me we should mention a bit about the duke's history and a part of his character so his parents died when he was 15 so he inherited the title at a young age and he's particularly bitter and jaded because he got used to thinking that people were his friends but in fact they were actually using him for his money and for his title so that's why he hasn't gone to these society things in years is because he's like i just cba to deal with all these fake hoes which i mean you know what fair play jasper i feel that yeah fair play so he meets amelia and he's like oh we've met haven't we and she's a bit like well yes we have I highlighted this because there was so much in it. Sally Jersey is like, I'm going to introduce you to the Mitchell sisters that everyone's talking about. But to Jasper's surprise, Sally did not make a beeline for these two lovelies, but to the woman hovering near them. A woman certainly past the first blush of youth. She's 30. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was quite exotically beautiful with dark hair and dark eyes and skin that hinted of warmer climes than chilly England. Don't know what that means. I need a bit more detail. <laughs> Just either say she is black or Hispanic. His heart seemed to miss a beat. It was as if his recognition of her beauty had interrupted its rhythm, a most unpleasant sensation. And why on earth did he have the feeling he'd met her before? And he had met her before. He had. When she was freshly out and he was very dismissive of her. And then she saw him again another time and he didn't remember her. And she's really taken that to heart. It really upset her. Right. She takes this way too to heart. I don't know. I don't want to be pro-Duke all the time, but... I really feel like, good God, girl, get a grip. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The five Gs, please. Get over yourself. On these seasons, you probably meet hundreds of people. What do you expect? You met him once, like, 15 years ago, and no offence, babe, he's a duke. Like, I bet he meets people all the time. So Jasper, or as... Because he's the Duke of Stone. I don't know what that means. But they all just call him Stone. Like, he's Stone to his friends as opposed to, like, your grace or your... Dukiness. I'd just called him the Duke the whole way through. I think I did as well. But they all call him Stone. And so he is very taken with Amelia while he's there. The one thing I will say about Mills and Boone, I don't know if it's all of them, I don't know if it's just these ones, so many rhetorical questions. Mm. Why was he having trouble recalling where he had met her? And when? And why did he have the odd feeling that she did not like him? Had he given offence? And I'm like so many questions it's so Carrie Bradshaw in the sense that she goes and I couldn't help but wonder and Amelia's like so I couldn't help but think had I judged the Duke too harshly if Amelia was a modern woman in New York she'd be writing such a column about this 
she would. And we also learn that although they are Debs on the season, the two girls have sort of found love interests already. Mm-hmm. So Charity, the eldest daughter, fancies a guy called Lord Sherbourne. He's a fuckboy, I hate him. He's an absolute fuckboy. He gets hot-headed. He storms off a lot. No one's got time of day for him. So she describes him. So it says, Amelia had investigated the Sherbournes thoroughly and until this loss, oh yes, they've got bad finances. So that's why they also want him to marry Charity. And th- until this loss, they had proven to be of solid worth. Not a scrap of scandal or irresponsibility marred their reputation. In addition, as well as heir to a title, Sherbourne was a pleasant spoken, nice looking young man, if a little too passionate about things. I think you can probably say about a lot of 18 year old boys. Yeah. And then Patience, the younger daughter, she is very interested in a guy called Mr. Dobson. He will become Lord Dobson when his father dies. The way that they describe him, I felt so sad. I did. Harold, a rather studious and inarticulate young man who actually didn't need to marry for wealth. Unfortunately, the poor young man was so weedy and his face so spotty, he was unlikely to attract any girl's attention without a great deal of help. But then... When Charity says to Patience, like, oh, why do you like him? Like, he's spotty and gross. She goes, he doesn't talk about himself nonstop. He asked me what I like to do. And I thought that was really cute. Oh, Patience and Harold are adorable. They're cute. So the Duke then decides he's going to dance with Charity because, you know, she's pretty. Why the fuck not? She's the older one. All the way through this, there's a lot of Amelia being like, is he actually interested or is he just being nice? Because in a way, like, him dancing with these girls means that they now belong here. They are a part of the Tom. Anyone who might think they're, like, little new money upstarts from Yorkshire who don't deserve to be here, he's, like, justified their presence by showing interest. He cemented their position in society, essentially. But he's just kind of going, like, oh, I'm here now. I might as well dance with someone. And so he ends up dancing with, like, three or four different girls. So he can't be shown to be, like, picking one, but also to justify him being there. He realises that he needs to let the middle classes in because they've got the money. But he's like, we should let them in and let them realise their British dreams. But we shouldn't give them control. We should still be in control, but just take their money. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, uh, I mean, the class system's fucked anyway, isn't it? I mean, that's my big issue with the Duke, is that he is a Duke, and therefore upholding the biased British class system. So, after he's danced with Charity, he comes up to Amelia, and he's like, shall we dance, bum-ba-dum? And she's like, no, mate, not happening, I don't dance, I'm 30, I can't dance, I'm too old for dancing. I hope 30's not too old for dancing, I like dancing. I miss dancing, I'm not a good dancer. Oh, God, no, there's no... badly in Nightclub. There's absolutely no implication that we're good at it, but I just like doing it. <laughs> I just enjoy it. So I also like this, like they come home and they have a little debrief, like all the girls are in bed having a hot chocolate, chatting about what happened during Classic. the night, which I thought was really cute. It turns out that they have been invited to a picnic by Mr. Dobson in Grinch Park so that they can potentially go and see the observatory, which I thought was quite nice. You know, they both enjoy stars and i think it was a bit it was like amelia saying that patience was really excited to go and see the observatory because harold was excited to see the observatory and it was like since meeting him she'd suddenly got very passionate about the stars <laughs> which was his thing that he was passionate about and i was like we've all been there haven't we we've, we've all, all been there we've all taken on your partner's interest to try and impress them a bit and sometimes it sticks and sometimes it it's doesn't. sometimes it sticks sometimes it doesn't maybe she is genuinely mm. interested like it's maybe not something that's been presented to her or something she can be interested about and he's like 
Let's go see some stars. Yeah. Whereas the period I spent pretending to be interested in Liverpool Football Club did not stick. No, that's not. Mm. Ugh. So the, ne- the next day, they all get up and they go on a carriage ride through Hyde Park. Lovely. And as they're going through Hyde Park, Charity has a little panic because she sees Sherborne having a walk with another woman. Ah. I remember this like in first year of uni where you're like the boy that I'm kind of seeing like was talking to another girl and I don't know what to do about it. And then you're crying in the toilets and everyone's like, mm, they're there, let's go dance. And all the people you've known for two weeks are like, mm, great, this is fun. I'm having a great <laughs> freshers week with this crying bitch. So whilst Charity is seething about this, the Duke rides up to them. Again, we get more of Amelia's sort of rhetorical questions was she wrong about Stone? Was he truly interested in charity? Papa Mitchell would be thrilled if it's true. It would be the wedding of the season should it come to pass. So there's a lot of internal monologue. And there's a lot of Amelia being jealous when Stone is interested mm. in charity, but not really knowing what to do with that. She should be happy because if she can make this yeah, match, then she she's going to get absolutely minted. But she's like, is it truly the right match then? And I'm not upset because I fancy the Duke. I'm upset because I want what's best for everybody. So the Duke sides up to them and turns out he's going to Greenwich Park and... It's just like, oh, okay, cool. I'll see you there. And he's like, are you going to Almax? And they're like, yeah, we are. And he's like, cool, I'll see you there. Goodbye. So Almax was the name of like some fancy dance halls. Lady Jersey was a patron of this place. Okay. And you could only get in if the patron sort of gave you tickets. So that's what the Almax sort of was. But they're going to this picnic in Greenwich Park because Harold wants to show patients the observatory, but the person who owns the observatory doesn't open it to the public. Mr. Pond, he's the royal astronomer. And the Dobsons have tried to pull all the strings that they could pull to get them in and it hasn't worked. Have you ever been to the observatory? I don't think I have, no. This is like where I've been on 90% of my school trips Okay. Because it's where I'm from. The Greenwich Park and the Royal Observatory is genuinely a lot of my childhood. So reading this for me was really, really strange because they were dead excited to go to it. And I was like, oh no, not again. (laughs) Like... There's only so many times you can step over Greenwich Mean Time and... And buzz about it, yeah. And just buzz about it. And I remember being more excited about the gift shop. I think that's how we started feeling about Chester, where I was from. There's only so many times you can have a man dressed as a Roman centurion tell you about Uh, the walls before you've kind of seen the walls. And you're like, I get it. The Dobsons have tried to get Mr. Pond to open the observatory for them and he won't do it. But the Duke's got connections. And I really liked, I highlighted it because it was just so Pride and prejudice The bit where he comes like striding up the hill towards them. Yes. He walks up that hill as if knowing no wayward fleck of mud would dare mar the mirror-like polish of his boots, though the wind was actually daring enough to ruffle his carefully ordered locks as he removed his hat to make his bow to their hostess. If he was aware of the disruption of his inimitable style, he ignored it, unlike some of the other young gentlemen who were consistently pushing and combing with their fingers at wind-tossed locks. And I was like, oh, he's so cool. And you can see that almost Colin Firth coming out of the pond, like slow motion up a hill, windswept. Ugh, lovely. The bit that I highlighted towards this is where they are going to the observatory and Dobson and Patience are walking ahead and Amelia and the Duke are walking behind and it goes, he liked the feel of her hand on his arm. He was tempted to cover that elegant gloved hand with his own. The need for a gesture of possession he did not understand. Oh, 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 oh. 
That's saucy. So they get into the, like, it's not very interesting them talking about all the equipment and shit in the observatory. But Patience and Harold are fucking buzzing. They're having a great time. He says, Miss Patience has an inquiring mind. Amelia tensed at the Duke's statement. She could not tell if he was displeased or otherwise by his tone. She had noticed that most men were intimidated if a woman showed too much intelligence. She forced herself to speak calmly. I hope you do not hold that against her. Not at all. Intelligence and beauty. It is a delightful combination. Clearly, Dobson appreciates it. The older sister is far more beautiful of the two, though, and far more palliable in her personality. She is very pleasant company. It seemed he, like many other men, preferred beauty to brains. Likely the reason he had looked down his nose at her all that long ago. And I just wanted to, you know, we do claim to be a feminist podcast and I would be remiss if I didn't call out that statement. It's so interesting. I mean, we're back on the broach lists of episode two. We're back on the broach list, yeah. Men who profess to like intelligent women generally don't like women who are more intelligent than Actually they are. Actually intelligent, yeah. If you're going to question their intelligence, that's not the kind of intelligence we're looking for. No. God, how many girls have had to dumb themselves down over the years just to get a mate... That's really depressing. It's really, really depressing. So they are sort of having a good time and they decide they need to go back because it's lunchtime and Lady Dobson would be pissed if they missed the lunch. So they're on their way back down and they see that Charity is tete-a-tete with Sherborne by themselves. And it is scandalous. People are like, how very dare you another woman comes over and is like why are you letting your charge speak to that boy and amelia's like why is that boy trying to speak to my charge and this was another bit that i highlighted because it comes up a couple of times in the book men did as they pleased and women trod warily it wasn't fair but it was the way of the world yeah and it's just really shit but this will become a bit of a theme is lord sherborne doing things with charity that he knows he will come out of fine, but she won't necessarily. Her reputation is the one on the he line. He puts her in risk a bit more than he would himself. He does. Fuck boy. And then I liked... So the Duke, like, has his own inner monologue. So why did he find himself drawn to the exotic Mrs. Durrant? A woman who, while polite, kept a distance... Perhaps that was the reason for his attraction. He was used to people carrying his favour and she was a refreshing change. He likes her because she doesn't bow to his every whim. And that's a very Mr. Darcy thing, thing. A woman who can challenge me, there must only be one and it's you. And it's like, I think most of the women here have thoughts, feelings and opinions that are probably more important than yours. They've just been told to bite their tongue. He's not asking for them. Yeah. And is it after this that they go to the theatre? Yeah, so he surprises them by, is like, oh, like, why didn't you bring the girls to the theatre? I've got a box. Charity's like, oh my goodness, Lord Sherborne doesn't have a box. Like, why does the Duke? And Amelia's like, shut up, boxes are expensive. She's like, I want to go to the theatre with Lord Sherborne. It's like, well, that shop is not taking you to the theatre. So get in the theatre that's coming. I had one big issue with the theatre scene. Yeah. 
which goes on for a couple of chapters. It's fine. They watch the play. Everyone's having a nice time. There's a bit of drama in the interval. But my main issue, and I'm going to say this at the top so we can then just go into what actually happens. Um, the curtains opened and the play began. Macbeth was always a favourite with a London audience. So they're watching Macbeth. Right, okay. This, I, I picked this up too. And then at the end... When they come out of the theatre, Amelia's looking a bit stressed or down or whatever. And Patience goes, I've never left so hard in my life. You did not seem to find any humour in the farce. And I was like, they're watching Macbeth. Say, why are they laughing at Macbeth? I don't I like, know. Why I don't are they know. laughing at I actually wrote Hamlet, so that's on me. Literally, this was the only, really the only bit where I was like, Anne, you've let yourself down. You've let me down. You've let Shakespeare down. What have you done? Because her research into the gaslighting in theatres at that time was mm. really spot on. So much detail about how they were lighting buildings yeah. and yet you couldn't be bothered to remember what play they were watching for like 10 pages. I'm so glad it wasn't just me. I knew, well, as soon as I read this, I was like, I really hope Molly's picked this up as well. So after having a big laugh at Macbeth, for some godforsaken reason. The funniest play ever written. In the interval of the theatre is where the real drama happens. For a start, there is a man trying to get the Duke's attention, like from the ground, obviously they're up in and a box. And he's waving up. Amelia's like, who's that? And he's like, oh, he's no one, we're not dealing with that. And you get a bit of the Duke's like inner monologue about dodgy cousin Albert. He's always on the cadge, it seems. He's like, oh, he's yeah. gonna ask me for money. There's always this sort of, in these Regency style stories, there's always a shady cousin or a shady uncle or mm-hmm. someone from the past that comes back up to wreak havoc. And and I, I like got very much that sort of vibe with Albert. So we get introduced to dodgy cousin Albert and then the Lords Dobson and Sherborne, so the two lads who fancy the Mitchells, come into the box. And they're like, fancy seeing you here. Oh my god, are you at the theatre too? How strange. That like really awkward when you bump into someone at the interval and you're like, oh, are you having fun? And they're like, yes. But Lord Sherboyne's being a bit of a brat because he's not got a box. The Duke's got them like bevs or whatever. And he's like, if you're going to be in my box, Lord Sherboyne, you might as well have a drink. And he's like really shitty about it. Flounces off like a fucking drama queen. But I like the fact that the Duke continually goes about like Dobson. Dobson is trying to be the Duke's secretary. And there's a couple like business ventures that the Duke is like, ah, that's a smart boy. I need to know more about him. Yeah, he gets on with Dobson. Dobson seems like a good lad. A solid good egg. And then after the theatre, after they've all had a big riotous laugh at Macbeth, Amelia has been very preoccupied through the second act, kind of being like, I can't believe we're the only people in the box. We thought there's going to be a group of people. The only reason she accepted to go was because she thought it was like a party and they were going. And then when they arrived, she was like, where's everyone else? And the Duke was like, no, no, it's just us. And she can't quite work out his motives for that. All the way through the book, she's like, what's he doing? Like, this might mean like he is close to proposing because if he had no intentions there'd be other people there but because they're the only people there it shows that he has some intentions as a reader we know that it's really the duke is keeping charity around because he fancies amelia that's what he's doing charity spends a lot of time being like do we have to go to the theater with the duke i want to hang out with lord sherborne yeah but she knows that her dad would never let her accept Lord Sherborne if the Duke had asked for Charity's hand. That's how it goes. That's how the game was played. 
So they all get in the carriage home. He drops them off at the Mitchells and he's like, oh, can I give you a lift home, Amelia? And she's like, no, it's fine. The Mitchells will send me home. And he's like, there's no point getting two coachmen out when there's already one here. She's like, well, I guess that makes sense. So they drive off to Amelia's. They get to hers and she invites him in. Would you like to come in for a cup of tea? His gaze widened. Really? Was he thinking she was about to make inappropriate advances to him? Well, she might like to, but that was not her purpose. So they go in to her little house. One of the phrases which I thought was like, made me feel a bit gross about Duke was, rarely did he enter rooms as small as this. I was like, good for you, hon, in your massive house. I also like that the chat up line, do you want to come in for a cuppa? Or do you want to come in for a drink? Still viable. It was viable back in... 1815 it still works in 2015 it is a classic (laughs) 200 years this chat up line do you want to come in for a bev works every time and they have a little bit of bantery back and forth where he's going like do you think that my intentions are dishonorable your assumptions with regards to my character are far from complimentary they're having this kind of like pride and prejudice bickering so then he accuses her of only being interested in their match for the money. The whole reason Amelia gets into this game is because she actually does it for the kids' well-being. It says here, this is when we start to get into Getting spicy. She leapt to her feet. You think I would sacrifice a girl's happiness for money? He rose. I have no ideas what your motives are. Her dark eyes flash. Her hand whipped towards his face. She would have slapped him if he had not caught her wrist. The other hand came up and he caught that too. He glared down into her furious face, the gold in her eyes glittering with anger. Her rapid breathing causing her lovely bosom to rise and fall with the skimpy confines of her low-cut bodice. She looked magnificent and he could not help himself. He kissed her. So much build up to that kiss. It's so worth it. It was so hot, yeah. The one thing that we will say is like in this whole book, there's like two sex scenes, Mm. but they are so drawn out. They're each like three chapters long and it's so worth it. When I was writing my notes, I was like, oh, this is a sex scene. But I was like, I can't write a sex scene as page 100 to 150 and just read that out on the podcast. I started by trying to highlight it. And then I was like, this is going to be five pages long. I can't just highlight all of it. So I would say get the book just so you can read how sexy these pages are so sexy we are not doing it justice like we really aren't because there's so much build up i now understand why all these little old ladies buzz off mills and Boone mm. so much because like it's sexy it is sexy what harm would it do he was as yet a bachelor and she was a widow did she not deserve a little excitement in her life i think you do amelia you do deserve some excitement i think you do babe yeah take it get that deep the kissing the kissing scenes there's just so much like there are just pages of kissing descriptions Mm. A groan rumbled up from his chest, striking unexpected answering chord of pleasure deep within her body. She stroked her hands down his back while tasting and tangling her tongue with his. Delicious. Oh, heart. I liked a large warm hand, cut her derriere and held it close. He's an ass man. That's all anyone wants is just a large yeah. warm hand to cup your derriere. The maid who brought them tea came in before and he's worried about the reputation. She's like, no, the maid left for home the moment she delivered our tea. She stayed a little later this evening so as to be here when I arrived home to help prepare you for bed. Indeed, but I told her to go. Then you must permit me to oblige you since I've deprived you of her services. 
I love this. So I loved it. My bedchamber is at the back of the house. I warn you, it is exceedingly small. Oh, this was a bit I thought yes. was quite weird. Was he eyed the bed with misgiving. Clearly designed for one person, the carved frame looked too dainty and fragile to bear his weight. The idea that he might end up on the floor in a tangle of broken wood and bed linens did not appeal to his sense of dignity. How shit were the beds in 1817 that you could just break one? That's ridiculous. He's kissing her again and she moans softly, tangling her tongue with his, stirring his body to life and heating his blood. This is why he had accepted her invitation. This sense of recklessness flowing through his veins. He could not recall a time when he had let go of all reason this way. And then he starts getting her ready for bed and he's obsessed with her hair. He is obsessed with her hair. But I really love the fact that even back then, I don't know if this is true, but counting on this book to be true that back then bobby pins were a bitch Mm. for every man they hated them and he's trying to take out her hair he felt around amid the heavy tresses for the pins that held them fast a great many pins he discovered there was a forest of them he grumbled she laughed not that bad surely you have the forest of dean in here (laughs) the pile of pins on the escritoire mounted finally he arrived at the heart of the concoction I was like, ugh, it's not just my partner who gets annoyed. He's playing the role of the maid. He's getting her ready for bed. If my lady would care to rise, he murmured softly, I will help her undress. His desire notched higher. He quelled his impatience. Good things were worth waiting for. He's undressing her and it was like unwrapping a particularly precious gift. Ah. He's like, the reason you struck me was because I first saw you at Jersey's Ball. You were really peng then. And... She was like, actually, we were introduced to Almax a few days later. But in those days, I was painfully shy and thin and all awkward in elbows and frilly dresses that suited me not at all. And he's like, and no doubt I was a pompous ass. I apologise. And she's like, you are forgiven. Oh. Which means they can get down to the bone he like takes off her stockings and he rolls each stocking down to her ankles and he kisses her foot and she's like that's so good my maid certainly does not do that and he's like i should hope not it's also the first mention of like a foot not foot fetish but it's more like affectionate isn't it but it's the first foot thing we've had yeah. on the podcast and then he starts undressing and like one of his buttons pings off and hits the window because he's like very slowly and sensually like pulls her out of her clothes and then he's just like bam 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 and like rips all his he just kicks his shoes off he's like oh. he's proper going for and it then, and then we get to it he slid a hand down between them and slipped one finger inside her wet heat she sighed that sigh went straight to something deep in his heart a sweet painful welling of some emotion that left him feeling weak humbled this woman undid him on so many levels i want you she murmured he entered her swiftly his shaft hardening as he thrust into her and his bollocks drawing up tight not a word i've heard before not a word it's bollocks right yeah it's bollocks with an o not bollocks with an a yeah It took all his control not to fall apart in an instant, but to pleasure her as she deserved to be pleasured. But then his last conscious thought was to, uh, so they've, they've done it, it's great. He withdrew hastily from her and fell into bliss. His last conscious thought was to use the corner of the sheet to wipe the mess from her lovely belly practical you don't want to come inside because even at 30 she can still dangerous stranger danger the pull out method do you know what sometimes it might work not advocating it i'm really not but back in the day that's all you had but then he has to leave at like three in the morning so that people won't see him leaving hers the next morning but he's invited her to a masked ball something that he probably shouldn't have done because this is a bit a scandalo. We also find out what happened to her. Oh, we do. Yes, she had to marry the guy that she married 
it's because her ex, the one who died because he rode on his horse, um, was like, oh, let me show you the orangery. And she was naive. It says here, unfortunately for him, her aunt had spotted them leaving the ballroom and, along with her cousin and his wife, had followed them, intending to bring her back. Her family had arrived to find Durrant pressing her against a wall with his tongue in her mouth and one hand on her breast. It didn't matter what she was trying to fight him off, she was ruined. So she had to get married and it feels like her husband's always resented her for this fact. Again, it's this thing of like men do what they want and women's reputations suffer as a result all the way through. Whenever the Duke gives her a compliment, she's like, that's very nice of you. And he's like, I'm not being nice, I mean it. Like, I think you're really fit. And she's not used to people paying her attention. This is mental, people being nice to me. Yeah, which I think was really sad. Which was sad. All the way through, you get the peppering of the Duke's, like, chip on his shoulder, essentially, because he became a Duke too young, and that's damaged him. We don't get as much of her backstory. That's kind of the main bit of backstory, is that she was kind of forced into this marriage with someone who'd taken advantage of her. And that's why this is such a big deal for her, that the Duke actually seems to quite like her. So, yeah, they go to this... Oh, this masked ball sounds sexy. He's dressed as Dick Turpin, the highwayman, mm-hmm. and she's dressed as Nell Gwynn, the famous actor who was a mistress of one of the kings before i can't remember what king it is i'm very much relying on you because this is all news to me i didn't know who that was so nell Gwynn was a quote-unquote actress but this was at the time when actresses were actually sex workers and she became one of the king's mistresses i think so that's why she became so famous they've gone to this party together because no one will know who they are We've all seen a Cinderella story when they go to a mask ball and she's just wearing a tiny mask and we all know it's Lizzie McGuire. I've never understood how putting like a piece of fabric across your eyes makes you unrecognisable to everyone who knows you. Which, and it doesn't work because they bump into dodgy cousin Albert and he's like, all right. And the Duke's like, fuck, no, I must I've, got, I've got a mask on. No, how do you know that it's I me? Am, uh... But they go to this party and they're having a sexy time. They have a little snog in the bushes, don't they? very sexy it was quite sexy have some dinner together very sexy but then the big drama is that they see lord sherborne and charity who are not supposed to be there together because as we've established it's a saucy place to take a lady and they shouldn't be there it's really easy to recognize people as we've just mentioned turns out a mask is not foolproof and if you go somewhere as they have trying to be anonymous it's not gonna work fucking work charity And so they're trying to decide what to do. If we go and tell everyone that we came together as a group of four, these two older people are chaperoning the younger people, and it's going to be fine. The Duke is sort of like, I want to rumble Lord Sherborne for how bad of a man he is. And Amelia's like, stop thinking like a dad and start thinking like a sensible Duke. You can't go around rumbling with young lords. It's not done. because you're 35 (laughs) and he's 18. You're not going to come out well in this fight. But then Lord Sherborne throws a little bitch fit because he's been caught out essentially. He's also been rescued. He didn't want to be rescued by the other man who is courting the woman he wants to marry. Because Charity's already, I think when she sees them, is a bit like, oh, thank God you're here. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And he's brought me into this situation where I'm not comfortable. They stay and watch the fireworks together because they're like, it will look more suspicious if we all leave as soon as we've met. So they all go home. They've seen the fireworks and they rendezvous at Almax the next Wednesday. And Lady Jersey comes up to Amelia and is like, 
we saw the Duke leaving yours. But she's also a bit like, do you know what? We get it. Like, he's eligible. He's fit. He's not married. You're both of a certain age. You may as well do it now. Like, Then the Duke invites Charity to come to his gaff yes. for a party in the summer. And this very much seems to be like the... Amelia sees it as like the nail in the coffin for that marriage. It's going to happen. And then the Duke throws in another bamboozle and is like, will you dance the waltz with me at this ball? And she's like, oh, okay. And she was sort of saying she was sat in the corner with the chaperones and the old spinsters talking about how they've got children and grandchildren. And she's saying that she felt a bit envious. And the Duke is like, is it not too late for you to start a family? And this is the bit that I highlighted. It went, men. They simply did not understand the way the clock moved exonerably towards a woman. She's like, you, you can fuck about all you want at 35. I'm 30. I'm widowed. My time is over. So they all toodle pip off to Stone Hall in Sussex. It's not the biggest of his duke houses, we find out. It's actually one of his smaller duke houses. It's not a castle. He didn't want to intimidate Charity by taking her to the castle. They arrive. She's there with the girls. They're shocked that Sherborne and Dobson have been invited. Yes. Everyone's here. The lads have been invited. The band's back together. And Amelia's like, why the fuck would you invite your rival when you're trying to win her over? So she goes to see the Duke in his study. Firstly, I do love the description of his dressing gown. Oh my God, I highlighted that. Yeah, I'm going to read it out because I'm like, if anyone knows where I can get this. Because I want this. He was wearing an opulent silk navy blue dressing gown with turquoise dragons. Where it opened at the throat, he could see that he had discarded his cravat for a loosely tied neckerchief. He looked relaxed and deliciously attractive. Her stomach did an odd little flip. Oh, why did he look so alluring? Because he's in a silk navy dragon dressing gown. That's why he looks so alluring, hon. But she goes to see him and she says, why on earth did you permit young Sherbourne to join us? Um, and he says, there are a couple of maxims I've taken into consideration. The first is absence makes the heart grow fonder. Were I to separate those two, Miss Mitchell would likely romanticise the young man until he became a knight in shining armour in her mind. I would not like to be married to a woman who fantasised about another man. Fair enough. And the second, she said, familiarity breeds contempt. You think if she spends a great deal of time in his company, she will tire of him. Only time will tell, I suppose. Personally, while he can be charming, his delight in the dramatics is exhausting. (laughs) I tire of him after speaking with him for half an hour. That's the plan. This is what he's told her is the plan anyway. Did sound like a good plan. And he then asks Amelia to be like, will you help me out and make the Lord Sherbourne seem as shit as humanly possible to charity. She sort of says no. Yeah. But she's like, I won't go out of my way to make him look better than he is. Because she's like, is this like a scheme? Are we like (laughs) heisting him? And the Duke's like, nah, like he's going to do that himself because he's an idiot. And so then he's like, what about us? And she's like, us? And he's like, yes, us. And she's like, there is no us. Once you're married. And he's like, once I'm married, that's something else. And she's like, you're as good as betrothed. And he's like, as good as? Right now, I don't think anyone's promised anybody anything. And so she says, do I creep to your room in the dead of night or do you creep to mine? And he's like, that sounds very sordid. Mm. And then they talk about romance novels, which I thought was I thought was cool. And I was like, do we need to Google Anne Radcliffe and read her shit? She says, you don't believe in romance? And he says, I do not find those lurid novels in the slightest romantic. Is it meta that we're talking about romance novels on a romance (laughs) novel podcast in a romance Well done to Anne (laughs) Lethbridge 
for bringing in this element of like he's disparaging <laughs> Mills and Boone books in a Mills and Boone book. I respect it was beautiful. that. And I like it a lot. Then they start getting it down. They start getting on. They start getting down again. Instinctively, his hand explored the delicious dips and planes of her back and waist and the lovely womanly swell of her derriere. Mm. He's such an ass man. He gets up and he turns the key. And he's like, no one's going to disturb us. So then they start getting down to it. And he goes, this is no good. She's like, what? Oh, they, so they're banging on a chair and it is quite hot. I'm just going to leave you with this. Between her thighs, deep inside, her body tingled. She tightened and gasped at the hint of visceral pleasure that would soon be hers. Little teaser for you there. Go read it. She turned towards him, pressing her breasts against his chest. He groaned and shifted beneath her and she felt the hard ridge of his arousal against her bottom and then he's like I refuse to make love to you jammed in this dashed chair and she's like on the floor and he's like no I have a bedroom hon they get to his bedroom and he's like you have the most beautiful hair and she goes most gentlemen prefer a true English beauty blonde hair and pale skin she sounded amused but there was a defensive note in her voice most gentlemen are idiots I will not disagree. Obviously, because of what's happened to her, and this is maybe going a bit like deep for yeah. Mills and Boone book, but her self-esteem is shot. Yeah. She had an abusive husband who didn't really love her. They don't have a kid, so that sort of says something. Yeah how that relationship went. And then there's a whole thing where she wants to see him stretched out, shirtless and face down on the bed. This got weird. I thought we were going to get some like pegging or something and I was buzzing for it. I was like, could you imagine if this was the book that we got pegging in? I would be so ready for it. Before she does that, she makes him take his clothes off and she walks around him and she's like, my goodness, my memory didn't fail me. You are magnificent. He goes, good heavens, women. You sound as if you were reviewing a stallion you plan to purchase. He grumbled, feeling a little embarrassed by her enthusiastic endorsement. Which <laughs> I, I love that really cute. they are. I feel like she's really nails the like banter. Yes. Which I think can be quite hard to do in a romance novel. And that's completely why all the built up sexy bits are really sexy. Is you feel that tension. And then he's lying down. We thought it was going to be pegging. But it turns out she's just writing on his back. Did you used to do that as a kid? What am I writing? You'd have to try and guess what it is. And she writes, you are a naughty boy on his oh, back. Oh, that's so cringe. That made me It was me really cringe. cringe. I didn't like that That bit. made me feel like uncomfortable. You haven't seen me anything like naughty as yet. She goes down into his face. But no doubt I will. No doubt at all, my dear Amelia, starting right now. And then they start getting it on again. So she like looks at him and it says, he was a magnificent man. The head of his swollen erection reached all the way to his belly button. He pushed it at the base with two fingers and made it stand away from his body. Stiff and proud, the heavy ropey veins and dark blood with lacy pattern beneath the skin. She knelt astride him and slowly lowered herself down onto the hot flesh. She picked up the rhythm, like posting on a horse. He chuckled breathlessly. Oh yes, ride me, darling. Oh, good Lord, she hadn't meant to say that out loud. <laughs> it just... <laughs> and to be fair, this was, like, a lot more graphic than I expected in Mills Yeah, and same. Like, the joke that we've made in a few of them is, like, the throbbing sexes and the slippery the, the manhoods yeah. or whatever. That's what I expected. And she was full going in with the ropey veins yeah, and the erection. Yeah, there's ropey veins, there's kissing of nipples and caressing of breasts. It's not just her bosom heaved. She's on top. She's living her best life. Shoddy got it, right and dirty. <laughs> so then they come. Everyone comes. Oh, should we read the coming part? Go on, read the coming part. Pleasure became 
him in excruciating tightness, an impossible barrier. His clever fingers return to the tiny spots in front of where their bodies joined. This time, it really was more than she could bear. About to protest, the barrier broke and she shattered. Even as she felt him stiffen beneath her, then pull her free of her body with a shuddering cry. She collapsed on his chest and, as he stroked her and murmured sweet words in her ear, she fell asleep. She shattered. She shattered. That's so hot. That's really sexy. Yeah, that's... This book is really good. Yeah. That's just... It's really good. So then obviously she has to sneak off back to her room. And that's... Just full disclosure, that's like the last sexy bit. Yeah, there's no more sex. But then we're just absolutely rattling downhill towards some plot. Because I feel like this book wrapped up pretty fast. Really quickly. They go riding and he has a dispute with one of his tenants. And he thought it'd just be about money. It turns out that cousin albert has been banging this guy's daughter and extorting her for money a creepy cousin albert turns up and they all decide to go to this castle together which is like an hour's ride away most of the lads don't have their own horses so they're in the carriages with the sisters while amelia and the duke are trotting up front on horses i'm telling you this because it does kind of come in to make sense so they go and they've like got easels so the girls can do painting and there's probably a picnic creepy comes out when it's talking to charity the duke goes we don't want that and whisks charity away to do her painting or some shit so amelia then goes for a walk with albert who starts feeding her all this shit about how the duke is a bit of a cunt how he i don't understand how he managed to convince her that at the age of 15 the duke managed to get his father to like disinherit him because he was like the house was meant to be mine and that's what his dad said but then when his dad died and he became the duke at the age of 15 he didn't let me have the house because his dad didn't leave a will he took over and it's like no 15 year old can think about this shit like he's a grieving teenager he's not hidden his father's will anyway for some reason for plot purposes amelia believes it she believes it because she's got this prejudice of him being a dickhead to her in the past which she honestly needs to get over needs to build a bridge and get over he's fucked you twice really really well move on from what happened 15 years ago but then she goes off to confront the duke and is a bit shirty with him and is a bit like cousin albert tells me you're a dickhead and he's like cool you chose to believe him that means you're not the woman i thought you were big drama yeah and then when they go back patience has gone and so is cousin albert they've gone off together and they were just gonna go look at some roman i don't know architecture or whatever no one can find her and they're not coming back for the food like we're gonna have the food patience and creepy cousin albert aren't here we're gonna launch a search party very dramatic and then charity like twists her ankle because she's a basic bitch which basically is a plot device so that the duke and amelia are alone together riding because they find the coachman and they're like yeah albert said that you said he could have the coach no he knocks him unconscious. oh fuck he does albert yeah knocks the coachman Drama. unconscious and is like, he stole the horses, but he was never as good of a horseman as my lord is. So we can't have gone far. And then the Duke whistles and then his stallion comes like round the corner. He's like, I know you wouldn't leave me, boy. So they gallop off into the distance together. And they find the carriage is like crashed because when patients sort of realised, she was like, I don't want to be with this man in this carriage being stolen, essentially. Patients have been kidnapped. She like pulls the reins and he goes off the road and that's how they find them. Turns out what Albert does is it's sort of like Lace. He ruins women's reputations for money. He's like, we'll run away together and then you'll have to marry me and you're really rich and 
some shit. Or you have to give me money to keep my mouth yeah. shut about what's happened. And so the Duke punches him and Amelia realises she was wrong the whole time. And Amelia's like, we're going to say that you took us on a coach ride and you're actually shit at riding horses. Amelia comes through with the like, I heard that all four of us were together and she was never alone with you and you crashed this carriage because you're shit at horses and you're not going to get away with this. He realises he's been had after he's been punched. And the girls both say, bravo, the second he's punched in unison. They go back and Lord Sherborne and Charity are making out on the lawn. The Duke's like, cool, I don't give a shit. Like, I literally couldn't care less. And then she's like, sorry, Duke, I'm marrying Lord Sherborne. And the Duke's like, crack on, hon, that's fine. Amelia's like, stop getting with that boy. Amelia's like that sober friend at the party who's like, put him down. Stop it now. If it sounds like we rattled through that really quick, it's because the book rattles through it really quick. You get a 20-page sex scene and a 10-page climax (laughs) of the whole book. That's it. Which I'm I'm fine fine with. with. And they all go back to the Dukes and the Duke is like, do you know what? It's been a bit of a weird couple of days. Everyone go back to London. You don't have to stay for the summer. Everyone's like, fucking fantastic. So the next day, Amelia's running around and is like, oh, I can't believe I thought such horrible things of him. Ah, I need to tell him how I feel. So she eventually finds him and is like, you don't deserve my apology, but I do apologise. Please forgive me. And he's like, forgiven. Kisses her marries her booked End up. Of book. We get a little epilogue. Fucking love an epilogue. The Mitchell sisters have a joint marriage. I think that's a bit weird, but fine. And the only person who knows that Amelia and the Duke are engaged is the Miss Mitchells's dad because she didn't want to steal their thunder. So then they go and have like a very tiny little wedding. Amelia didn't want a big fuss because it's tacky to have a big second wedding. Also, the thing that she does, which I'm like, again, build a bridge and go over it. She gets Auntie Mary to give her a bouquet of forget-me-nots because the Duke forgot the first Because he forgot her. (gasps) Grow over yourself. They get married. Dearly beloved, the bishop said. Dearly beloved, Amelia thought, that is exactly what I am. (sighs) Because she's not used to being dearly beloved. She's used to being a sad, abused lady. Everyone has a happy ending. It's great. So, Hannah, the big question is, how wet did you get? Are you like the ocean? How wet did you get? Are you drier than the desert? How wet did you get? Did this book make you come? I mean, probably the closest we've come, literally, of all of them. I want to give it, like, a nine. I had a fucking great time. Really? Those two sex scenes were literally the sexiest thing we've read on the I podcast. don't know. I thought the COVID-69 would have been your sexiest thing, just because of... COVID-69 Riley. was really sexiest. Riley is there. very much a you type of gentleman. Riley the emo yeah. god. But this... Say, this is exactly what you want it to be. Plus, ropey, veiny erections, which I don't think anyone expected. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, this it was hot. hot. I loved it. What I thought it was good. But the only two sex scenes, I was like, oh, okay. Like, they were very good sex scenes and they were about half the book, really. A third of the book, actually, yeah. It got the space... Because you kind of... I say a lot of the things maybe we've read or the mm. things you expect is that fade to black, but you didn't get that. You got the whole Jackie hog. Collins, we got fade to black, but this was everything. Mm. I love the fact that we went for a Regency one. I think that kind of made it hotter. The lingering looks and the touches. The repression makes it sexier when it yeah, happens. Yeah, it does. So yeah, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. 
Eight vaginas out of ten vaginas. Vaginas for this one because your vagina responded yeah. to it. As much as I want to be a better feminist than being impressed by a sexy duke, apparently I'm not. I think it had mixes of both. Like, she was also condemning, like, oh, men don't know what it's like to be a woman. And she's rolling in coins. Obviously, we really enjoyed this one. But you don't just have to take our word for it. We have gone and sought out some other reviews. There weren't a great deal because this book only came out about ten minutes and ago. we forget so. that old people don't know how to use the internet, which is what Mills and Boone is mostly directed at. So, there's only two reviews on Goodreads and one of them just said, I read this during lockdown and it was good and that's good for all you. Need. A woman called Alice picks this up to compare it to Georgette Heyer's Regency romance stories and I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Yes, the plot is very predictable. Yes, there's a lot of, but does he slash she actually love me? I can't tell. I must stop loving them. And yes, most of the relationship is based entirely on physical attraction. However, everything else was actually much better than I expected. Generally enjoyed it. What did Amazon think? So, Amazon, only had one review which was written on the 16th of June which I think is maybe the day the book came out I don't think it came out much (laughs) later than that it's very new and it's by a person called Serendipity it's been given three stars and it says well written but did not like the storyline I wasn't sure how to rate this book on one hand it is extremely well written however the characters seem somewhat one dimensional and the main reason I was not keen on it is that I felt the relationship between the main characters was a bit sordid sordid Hun, that was a really romantic sex scene. I don't think it was sordid. Is this person objecting to the fact that he's kind of half going to marry someone else? Because I feel like yeah, you need to maybe. go. Come, they've clearly not read some of the books that we've been no, reading, they have which not. are sordid. They are sordid. I don't agree with that Amazon lady. No, sorry, serendipity. If you are a connoisseur of Mills and Boone books listening to this, we would love your recommendations because there's just so many of them that we have no idea where to start which is literally why this book well molly went to a wh smith's and just picked up a book that looked like it had sex in it and that's how we chose this one so if you have any classic mills and boons that are sexy is the key because i think a lot of them are just romantic we want the sex yeah we do yeah we do want graphic bang for our book but i think for the i mean i i got the ebook version which was like two pound fifty i think that's one of the best two pound fifties i've spent for this podcast this was 6.99 and i also found a terry's chocolate orange reduced to 75p so my trip to smith's was not wasted but if you do have any mills and boone rep if you can tell us any good ones please let us know yeah and in general any sexy books just anything you wanted to read like you've wetlands everyone loved and that was a recommendation so don't be shy get your tips out for the Lads. <laughs> Twitter at LitGagPod, Instagram at Literally Gagging Pod, Facebook Literally Gagging Podcast, Literally Gagging Pod at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcast from. But you know that because you're listening to us. Is there still just one, one lovely little hun listening one to us hun on, on Stitcher? Stitcher? If you are the hun on Stitcher, can you let us know who you are? Because we love you. We really love your commitment if it's to just the platform. One of our friends lurking in the distance, or if it's a new person, we need to know. It's just like you're such an enigma, and we want to know who you are. So yeah, get in touch. Next week's book is going to be. Push, push the button, the button. Yeah. is that what it's called push the button push the button by feminista jones and i'm really looking forward to reading it i think it'll be a good one yeah i think feminista jones will be good i think that's pretty much everything isn't it yeah stay sexy
wash your hands, stay alert, all the things. If you're going back to work, be safe, listen to us on your commute. That's the thing people do with podcasts. And if you are in furlough like me, just have a wank and listen to us whilst you have a wank. Do we want to recommend that? Is that something you want? No, no, you're right. You're not. Listen to us <gasps> and then have a wank. As soon as you said it, I could see your brain being like, no, that's not what that's we... That's wrong. Read the book. That's wrong. Have a wank, then listen to the podcast. Whilst you're eating your pasta or something afterwards, yeah. Yeah, it's been a pleasure as always. And we'll see you next week. Tonight, a bit babs. Bye. Bye. A big thank you to Bobby Bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything, to Bethany Southworth for our jingle, and the other incidental music is from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech, the king of royalty-free jams and saviour of media studies students the world over.